Welcome to the Crime of the Century podcast. We expose higher education as a scam that it is. I'm Kevin Prendedal, and I believe that because of what we're teaching our students, we're losing an entire generation. And today, as always, we'll be diving headfirst into controversial subjects, undaunted by political correctness. Now, in Podcast 61, we talked about Western civilization in general, and last week we talked about uh, Vietnam and the 1970s and how American academia changed into one of more an activist culture and the effects of professorship in the 1930s shifted what happened into the 1960s and 70s. So if you haven't caught up to speed with us there, um, go ahead and do that before moving on with this podcast. And this podcast will be on the 1990s and the one of the last steps to get to where we are today. And again, this all started with Podcast 61, so if you haven't seen us at all before then, you're going to want to make that jump. It'll take you uh, quite a few hours to do so, so be prepared. Regardless, by understanding the background for the crime of the century, we can help decipher exactly how we got here and how to fix the crime of the century. So today's episode's not going to be quite as long just because the effects of the 1990s uh, have not fully played out yet. It's not something as though we can go back to the 1890s and, and see how the butterfly effect works uh, from there. It's only been close to 30 years, but not even that at this point. But we essentially had this odd mix in the 90s where you have the radical professors of the 1960s and 70s who were now older. And there is something that happens when you get older in terms of being a little bit more melancholy, a little bit softer, um, but that didn't necessarily happen. And so there's, before we get into the real philosophy and some of the more unfortunate things that happened uh, in the 90s uh, with regards to academia, um, the people who came, were coming into the professorship and those who were teaching them, they just simply didn't have that much life experience. So actually as they got older, um, their radicalization and their, their radicalism did not go away as it usually does with uh, older people. That these professors hadn't grown up working on a farm and worked their way to where they were. They had grown up pretty much, they went to other public or private school and then they went to college and then after college they went back to college to be a professor. And I mean, if you spend too much time in your head, you know, eventually you, you, you kind of live there and you can create your own little utopia up there. It's a form of escapism that really doesn't enable someone the ability to, to teach anything in terms of the utopian vision that was created, which had a lot to do with, with Marxist principles. They, they just never played out in the real world. Um, of course, because in the early 90s, the Soviet Union fell apart and the Chinese would have had they not been supported by the United States. And the Iron Curtain finally fell in Europe that 
it was very clear based on the evidence in the real world that these ideas didn't work and wouldn't work. And we still don't know how many millions of the Soviets have killed, but conservative estimates put it around 20. And some of the more aggressive put it around 50. And we don't know about the Chinese either, but that's between 20 and 100. So clearly, if you believe in liberty and the sovereignty of the individual, that idea did not work. But the people who live in their heads want it to work. Because it does sound nice and it's perfect utopia, heaven on earth that will cure everything. And to meet that worldview with horrible brutality and piles of bodies and horrible tyranny it's not something that someone who is so involved in their, their own mind can, can deal with easily. And they invent new ways of creating this utopia. So one of the things that has always been a problem in America has been uh, race relations. Whether it's uh, slavery or Jim Crow, there's always been tension between uh, those of Europe European descent and those of African descent and uh, certainly uh, Latin America descent. Now, in the 80s and 90s, this seemed to be clearing up, actually. Uh, you had, of course, you had the breakthrough on MTV with Michael Jackson in the 80s, where they finally put a black man on, TV, on MTV, um, and, you know, he was celebrated among Americans. You had ways for historically underprivileged men to, and in some cases women, to, to rise to stardom. And the relations between the two groups seem to have, have settled after the 1960s. And that was the whole message of the civil rights movement, was not that, you know, the blacks are going to dominate whites or, or vice versa. It's going to be, it was one of reconciliation and one of unity, and, and, and it worked. But unfortunately, in, 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 in neo-Marxist parlance, this doesn't work. Now, we've talked endlessly about, um, about, about hierarchies and the political dominance that, that, that goes on when you ascribe to Marxist beliefs that the whole world is based on some sort of uh, hierarchy and, and beliefs that, that don't work. But for this show, we're going to examine at least how these principles played out. So there was a paper that was written by uh, Professor Jenna Knoll. She's out in, um, in the western part of the country. And she wrote, she's, uh, she helps teach the teachers. She, she's um, very prominent within the educational field. And I've interacted with her work uh, in public school and high school and later on in college. And this one paper that she wrote always came back to me and it was, it was called White Privilege Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. And it was essentially that all of these hidden structures exist consciously and con unconsciously in society that, that we acknowledge and don't do anything about. And it's all about how 
you know, if you're white, you have all these privileges. Now, there's a million videos uh, on, on YouTube and other social media platforms that, that talk about this, this myth and why it's a myth. And obviously in the real world, there's poor people of both races, there's rich people of both races. It really, it comes down to how much you benefit others to whether or not you're going to be wealthy. But in this viewpoint, in this worldview, the only thing that you can see is, is race and, and ideology. And this will meet again in the 2000s. But this last hope for, for the Marxists, that if they're going to keep their ideology alive, that they have to do it through academic means. And so you see now that a lot of their ideas have spread out into the kind of movies that we make and into the media that we produce. And a lot of it is based on lies, half-truths, and agendas. And that doesn't necessarily create a better society because it's, it, it divides us inherently. And so uh, next week when we talk more in depth about the 2000s, we're going to see some of these effects. Now again, they haven't all played out and we are still dealing with this, certainly in 2016 election, but more so in the 2020 election and with certain comments uh, by President Trump, it has highlighted a lot of this change in the professorship and that is one facet of the crime of the century.